try again. Torah Resource presents the Rob and Caleb Show. All aboard! And now, from two sides of the same state, here they are, Rob and Caleb. Uh, what up? And shalom. Welcome to the Rob and Caleb Show. My name is Caleb Hag. With me, as always, Rob Van Hoff. What up, Rob? How's it going, brother? Almost always. Almost always. That's true. We've had a couple of uh, interesting past weeks. And I'll say this. Uh, it looks like we take a week off and we've lost most of our listening uh, audience. we got three people in the chat room right now. And... Our, our our programmer, who uh, is supposed to be programming the show, and our uh, and our website guy who runs the chat room, both are not in the chat room. There's another explanation. <laughs> the rapture happened, and you and I, my friend, are left behind. That's coming up, man. The rapture's coming up. It's coming up on, on September 23rd, supposedly. Yeah, well, someone yesterday, in a Hebrew, I was teaching a Hebrew class, and one of the kids said... Um, have you heard of a man named Jim Staley? He said all this stuff about. He went looked at all these movie clips where nine twenty three is the is the number, and that. Um, and I was like, uh, "Do you know Jim Staley is in prison for seven years?" And he's like, oh, "What?" Yeah, yeah. And then then that it went on to say, "Well, just be even if a thief tells you thou shalt not steal, it's still the truth." Well, we're going to talk about all this. In fact, anyway. I'll I'll tell you this. Guess what? I have I have clips today. Uh, this might sound odd, but uh, we've been out and, and about for the past. You've two, been more out and about, gallivanting about the state. I've been for the past two weeks. The country, the country. Yeah, it's not just been the state. How many states did you visit? You visited Pennsylvania. Yeah, Pennsylvania. I was in New uh, New Jersey, uh, but I don't think that really counts because we just drove through. But you know, whatever. We flew in and out of New Jersey. Anyway, so we had a uh, uh, Torah Resource family. Well, first, before we before we get to it, hang on. Let me get to my show notes because there are some important things that must be said at the beginning of this show. Um, now, my wife doesn't listen to this show. And if you ask her why, she'll tell you that she has to listen to me and deal with me all day long, every day. So why would she want to listen to me when she gets a break from me while I'm at work? Fair enough. I understand that. Yet... Today, 9-9 is my wife's birthday. And so I have to say a happy birthday to my wife, even though she won't hear it on the radio. Uh, Yeah, a very happy birthday to her. I love you very much, my darling. Okay. Uh, The other thing is, is that uh, I want to tell everyone so that there's no mistaking. The Robin Caleb Show is brought to you by TorahResource.com and Torah Resource Radio. You can find all sorts of great Wonderful free resources at TorahResource.com. You can find free articles. There's video clips, all sorts of good stuff. We're redoing our uh, we're redoing our website as well, so it's going to get even better. But go to TorahResource.com and look at all sorts of free stuff. Download stuff, buy stuff, do whatever you want to. It's a great resource for anyone who wants to dive deeper into the Bible and bi- biblical things. Okay, and look, we now have our uh, web guy. In the in the uh, in the chat room, and he brings up Rob Roy. Yes, I uh, I was with Rob Roy 
of uh, Messianic Publications, Messianic Pub. I was with him all weekend long. It was really, really great to see him and his family again. Okay, so let's talk about what's been going on. The reason that we uh, didn't have a show last week was because Rob and I were at... Uh, we were too busy for you listeners out there. <laughs> uh, I don't think so. We were at Tora Resource Family Camp. That's right. Family Camp uh, happened last week. It was wonderful. And Rob taught three sessions? Yes. What'd you teach on, brother? T- tell us about Family Camp. What were the high- now, Family Camp was wonderful. Your uh, family wasn't there, unfortunately. The, yeah, this year was the first year my family didn't come. Um, it's it kind of ironic, Family Camp, but a lot of things being juggled, a lot of exhaustion. Family Camp is not vacation, <laughs> just so people know. Yeah, no doubt. My wife's like, I'm not going to see you anyway, and <laughs> I need some good night's sleep, and anyway. It's all good. We met we some, great, we, yeah, we met some really great people. I was, oh, re- yeah, yeah. I'm so, I just think it's so awesome that we had people from a couple families from Colorado. Yeah. We had with different people from different parts of uh, Canada, California, Cal- Southern California, yeah, yeah. back east, um, yeah, Montana, so, Oregon. You so, know, we had. So I've been, I, you know, I get on, I get on Facebook and I see all these, you know, all these people ask to be my friend and, and I say yes, just because, you know, a lot of the time I don't know the people, but, uh, so there are several people that post all the time on, you know, that I see posts from all the time on Facebook. They're always liking anything that I put up. And it just so happens that I met like all of them either at family camp or at the conference that I just got back from. So that was really nice. It's always nice to see people. If you don't know what Family Camp is, let me give you a quick rundown of what we do at Tor Resource Institute Family Camp. Basically, you get there. There's an orientation. Then, ba- then it really starts on Monday. And there's two sessions that happen in the morning. One from, uh, well, this year it was one from my father, one from Rob Van Hoff. Uh, and during that time, the kids have activities. The kids are uh, doing arts and crafts or they're uh, playing activity games, all sorts of different stuff. Then we have lunch, and then there was a second lecture from Spike Pissaris. If you don't know who Spike Pissaris is, he did the DVD series, Our Created Solar System. Uh, just a really, really good... And actually, he did his the first session he did on Monday was all on dinosaurs, and uh, it was more kid-friendly. It was really good. He gave away dinosaur bones, and um, anyway, I videotaped the whole thing, so hopefully we'll have that up really soon. Um, and then, uh, and then you break and there's, uh, you know, archery and, uh, canoeing and boating and rock climbing and activities. The snack shack is open where you can eat all sorts of junk food and, uh, all sorts of good stuff. And then on Wednesday, and that happens basically every day until Wednesday on Wednesday, the team, or the, the, all the, everybody's basically put into teams and, uh, we give everyone a Bible passage that they have to reinterpret and act out in some way, shape, or form, and yes, it's up to it's them. Like skit night, skit it's like night yeah, is Wednesday night, yeah. yeah. And so, uh, and it's always just hilarious. It's really funny, and uh, this year was no exception. Uh, I think the award goes to Steve Seymour, who is often in our chat room uh, for putting on probably one of the funniest things I've I've seen at family camp. It was yeah. oh yeah, it was yeah. it was hilarious. Anyway, so what did you teach on, Rob? T- tell us what you taught on. Well, we I tried to fit in with our theme of apologetics. Yeah, and that yeah. was the, and that was the theme that ran through the all all three of the main speakers. Uh, Spike Basaris was teaching uh, apologetics from basically being able to defend the Bible 
uh, when it comes to atheists or evolutionists. My father was coming at it more from a uh, how to defend the Bible is accurate, and you were coming at it from a... Well, we talked about, in, in my sessions, one, the first was an emphasis on chronology. Chronology matters. That's one aspect of when we talk about historical, grammatical interpretation of Scripture. Chronology. We had a little fun chronology exercise. Then the, day two, we did terminology. We had a terminology exercise. And then day three was, was basically wrapping those two together in an affirmation of, of one Torah, standing strong in one Torah. And if anybody's interested, the two exercises, uh, people really loved them. The first one was chronology. I basically gave a handout that had about 35 or 40 uh, items on it that were either like an event or a person. And there, the exercise was people had to put them in order as best you can. Not dates, not looking for like, you know, a specific year, but can you put these in order? And it was really helpful. People really benefited from that. We went and then did it as a group and went and talked through it. And people were surprised at a lot of things. And uh, then with the terminology exercise it was, that we did on the second day, that was helpful too. Um, I asked people to list as many, as many words or concepts that were in common between baseball, football, and basketball. And, and people did a good job of that, finding words that you could carry on a discussion using, and people, an outsider, wouldn't know if you're talking about basketball or baseball or football. Um, and I used that as a, a way to help people understand the difference between you know, vague concepts versus specific concepts. And then the extreme is if you're at, let's say you're at a football game and there's someone sees a touchdown and they yell, home run, right? They... They're, they know something happened. They know there was a score. They're excited, but they have wrong, uh, wrong terminology. And then we looked at, we took that kind of uh, analogy and applied it to Jewish sectarianism. How, like, for example, you go into a Chabad place, you start talking about Mashiach. It's going to mean something completely different to a person who's been immersed in only the apostolic writings and has the term Messiah defined within there. So, Anyway, we got a, a lot of mileage, a lot of good feedback, a lot of great discussion, and I hope that that will be available for people too. Um, but yeah, camp was wonderful. It was go, 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 go. I mean, it's just, Yeah, it's nonstop. Yeah, nonstop. Also, here's why. There's so many great people to hang out with. So yeah, many exactly. great discussions to have with people in all sorts of different areas, and it's my joy to be able to hang out and hear and interact and... Plus the music, Caleb, as you know, we had some just yeah. awesome musicians. We had uh, Carl was up from, from Oregon playing the bass. We had uh, Ryan on the keyboard. Um, of course, Rob, you on the, the cello. Rob was playing the guitar. Spike yeah. on drums, your dad on trumpet. and Plus then the, just the jam sessions that we had around the fire. Yeah, it, there's just so much to take in. I still, I still don't feel like my feet are on the ground yet. And then you... I'm amazed that you left there and went and spent another couple of days on the other side of the country doing the doing the, the conference for the independent uh, messianic conference. Did I tell you uh, this is totally off subject? Yeah, I, and uh, and honestly, back on subject real quick. Uh, you know, if you ever thought about coming to TR camp, uh, the campfires alone are worth coming to camp. You know, kosher marshmallows around the campfire. And everybody's talking theology. 
You know, I'm getting in discussions about people about sacrifices in the millennium. Uh, Rob's over there teaching people new songs, worship songs. Uh, you know, people are just having a, it, it, it's just a great time. It is. So put it on your calendar for next year. Um, and it's always the week before Memorial Day. Or no, not Memorial Day. I'm sorry, not Memorial, Labor Day. It's always the week before Labor Day. Um, so did I tell you, this is, this is totally off subject, Rob, but did I tell you that a couple of weeks ago I went to uh, an anti-abortion rally and uh, no. I, I got recognized? You didn't mention that, no. And so I'm walking, so I get out of my car and I'm walking towards the rally and all of a sudden this guy goes, Caleb Hegg? And I turned around and I said, yes. And I thought, oh no, I should recognize it. You know, like I, I've never seen this guy before. At least I don't think I have. And he's like, I watch you on YouTube, man. The Rob and Caleb show. <laughs> no and way. I was like, it blew, it like seriously blew my mind for a few seconds, <laughs> you know? And, but here's what he said. He said, I thought you were a lot huskier. I thought you were like a lot bigger. Yeah. TV make ads weight. That's I'm really super skinny. And so <laughs> if I look skinny, I'm even skinnier. <laughs> I thought that was funny though. Like YouTube puts on 20 pounds. Yeah. <laughs> uh, anyway, so if you also the other thing, so we I I left after camp the day that camp got over. I got up, I helped do be- breakfast at camp, and then uh, I went home, got my bag packed for uh, Pennsylvania, and I flew out to uh, to Pennsylvania. And they actually fly us out on Thursday. We didn't actually get to our hotel room until about two o'clock in the morning <clears throat> on uh, on Friday morning. So we traveled all day on Thursday and uh, there's a three hour time difference, but we woke up on Friday and the reason that they have us come out on Thursday is so that we don't have to be traveling during Shabbat, which is really nice. So we, we appreciate that. Um, so Friday during the day, we actually had some time to go, you know, explore a little, uh, take a couple of pictures, whatnot. And then on Friday night, we had Arab Shabbat at the, the congregation. Beit Brachot is the congregation over there that, that hosts the Independent Messianic Conference. I, I was deathly ill. I was. I was really sick. And I didn't feel good at all. And uh, I kind of just wanted to curl up in, in a ball and, and go to sleep. Uh, but it was it was still a really good time. It was nice because uh, uh, I I got to see people that I met back in 2010. Uh, and when I saw them at the conference, there was a conference that we put on in Atlanta in 2010. Uh, Renee and Robbie, uh, they were not they didn't even know each other. But now I see them and they're actually married. Oh wow, cool! So that was cool. And uh, they've actually Robbie's actually sent us uh, quite a few emails and given us show ideas before. Anyway, so that was really nice. Uh, Saturday, we, we got to have uh, a Shabbat service with Beit Brachot, uh, which was just a really good time. And, and uh, Ariel Berkowitz and his son, Yoel Berkowitz, and my father all took teaching times and, uh, and, and taught on the, the Torah portion, the apostolic portion, and the prophetic portion, which was really good. It, it really was good. But I still wasn't feeling very good. And after that, after the service, we all went back to the hotel, and they had rented a, a, a room in the hotel uh, like a conference room where we could all just sit and chat. And Yoel Berkowitz uh, asked me if if he could, well, somebody else asked Yoel if, if he would do something to me. It's a Chinese, it's an ancient Chinese thing called scraping. It sounded very shady to me. But basically he put some oil on my neck and then with a ceramic spoon, like just, I don't know, I don't even know how to describe it, pushed down my neck and it like it looked like it didn't hurt at all, but it looked like it bruised the bottom of my neck. And the next day, I woke up and I didn't feel bad at all. It like took care of my illness. 
So that, I mean, my voice is, you can hear it in my voice. My voice is still all bassy and that's just because I was sick. But anyway, so then uh, they just packed, they packed in the teaching. Uh, and the, the, uh, the conference itself is at Lehigh Uni- uh, University there in Bethlehem, PA. And uh, the, it was at the Iacocca Hall, which is just this gorgeous hall that has a, it, three walls of this huge conference center uh, are are all glass and look out over the valley. It's just absolutely gorgeous. It's like spared at no expense. I mean, the conference, you can tell that they really go all out for the conference. The accommodations are really nice. And last year when I came back from this conference, I, I mentioned that they had put roasted chestnuts in uh, in our welcome bag at the uh, hotel. And we, we my, mom, my dad and I both tried them for the first time there in that hotel room. And we both thought that they tasted like feet. They, they were just disgusting. We couldn't believe that anybody would eat roasted chestnuts. So this year, uh, I think uh, Yosef uh, put I, – our room was the only room that had roasted chestnuts in the welcome bag. <laughs> he did it on purpose. So thank you for that, Joseph. That was that was awesome. Uh, but So uh, starting on Sunday, my dad taught three sessions on Sunday. I think uh, Ariel taught two sessions on Sunday. You all taught one session on Sunday. So, I mean, it was just jam-packed. And I was videotaping and audio recording the whole thing. And then while while the sessions were going on, I actually didn't really listen to the sessions because as soon as my dad's first se- session was over, I started editing his first session to try to be able to get, you know, get a jump on the game. And then on Monday, Yoel taught three sessions. Ariel taught two sessions. My dad taught one session. So, I mean, each each speaker taught four sessions the whole time. And the theme of the conference was uh, living... Living Torah, it was basically on sanctification. Living Torah, uh, Heaven on Earth was was the conference theme. So my dad taught on Romans 6. And uh, it, it, the whole thing was just really good. It was it was really a blessing to be able to be with everybody. And of course, you know, uh, rubbing shoulders with people like Rob Roy from Messianic Publications and his family. His family is just lovely. Uh, is, is always really good. He kind of brings me back down to earth every once in a while. You know what I mean? He's just, he's such a nice guy. And he's trying to help unite the Messianic movement, which... I, I think there's a huge need for that right now. Um, so, yeah. Um, anyway, so I, I can segue right now into a topic if you'd like me to, or we can play your clips. What do you want to do? Let's do my clips. <clears throat> we got to get, let's get to business here. Let's get to business. So one of the great parts of me being Shift out of into high gear, higher gear. Yeah. So one of the great parts of, of, uh, of me being away is that Rob steps up and actually does a little bit of work before the show. (laughs) Now I should say this, Rob and I have not talked since camp and we haven't talked about this show. We haven't talked about topic. I got all my show topic. I got in yesterday. And uh, so I haven't, I got to work today was the first time I've been in my office for over a week. And so I quick rushed and put together, you know, a show topic and all that kind of stuff. Totally. Unrelated to that, Rob has been working on on show topic, and I think that they kind of go together. I think it sounds like from what you said this morning, the ones I'd like to set up. I just have two clips, and they're short. Okay, but the what they kind of uh, wait. Now hang have on, a theme. Go ahead. No, so so you had a a, a picture too, right? Uh, that we put up on the Facebook page. Oh yeah, it, it didn't make it to our show notes website, so the link's not there. But if you're on our Facebook, you'll see. It's just a. a snapshot from that movie four blood moons oh yeah on netflix and i have now. an audio clip from that but i want to play my other audio clip first and and the theme between these is how we edit and how we select and edit our stories 
and we we need to be careful. And and so the first clip is, um, I just found this on the internet this morning. It is you know Hillary Clinton is running for Democratic nomination for to be president. She wants to be president in the 2016 election, and in New Hampshire there was a rally pro Hillary Clinton rally wherein a choir. And there's, you can watch it on YouTube. There's a choir and there's a choir director. They took an old uh, African-American or what they say a Negro spiritual properly. Um, woke up this morning with my, with my mind stayed on Jesus yeah. and changed Jesus to Hillary. Oh. So, so just you can play that. Clip. Well, isn't that blasphemy? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> okay, here we go. So this is the stay on Hillary, right? Yeah. Okay, so they take this old African American spiritual and changed wow. Jesus to Hillary, and they have the Hallelujah on there. Uh, and on the twist of a word, everything changes. <laughs> so the old spiritual is called "Woke Up This Morning," yeah. and uh, they changed that. And so it's like, okay, this is interesting. So, of course, they take an existing thing, modify it, swap something out to achieve, you know, to use it in alignment with the agenda, right? Okay, same thing now. Now, the second clip is taken from this movie. I think John Hagee was one of the producers. Um, it's called Four Blood Moons. On Netflix it, now. Yeah, it features, it features like uh, John Hagee, Mark Blit, is it Biltz? Biltz, yep. Um, some different rabbis. Anyway, one of these, and it's like this, it shows the talking head and then it, has some reenactments with some cool music and graphics. So the picture that we posted up on Facebook is a is a screenshot uh, when John Hagee's talking about the the tetrads coinciding with uh, Jewish events, yeah, significant if, Jewish events since in the last five hundred years. If you don't know what the blood moons are by now, go g- get on YouTube. I'm not going to explain them to you. Okay. So d- any more lead up to this? Oh yeah. Well, in the, this one clip is right close to the beginning of the movie. About three minutes in, it's it's a rabbi named Shlomo Riskin, who is the chief rabbi of Efrat, uh, and they've got him in this movie. And go ahead and go ahead and play that clip. This is uh, Shlomo Riskin. The Talmud states clearly that the eclipse of the sun is difficult for the nations of the world. The eclipse of the moon is difficult for the Jewish people, and express. A difficulty for the Jewish people. Okay, so he says, "Quote: The Talmud states clearly that the eclipse of the sun is difficult for the nations of the world. The eclipse of the moon is difficult for the Jewish people." So this the the Talmud quote is actually from uh, the tractate Sukkah so for Sukkot twenty nine a, and it actually reads, "When the sun is eclipsed, it is an evil sign for the star worshippers." When the moon is in eclipse, it's an evil sign for haters of Israel, but it's understood to mean Israel in any way. So he changes this, this word, Siman Ra, which means a bad omen or an evil sign, to it is difficult for. But then he changes star worshippers or idolaters, literally it's Ovdei Kokavim, which is the, the worshippers of stars, 
to nations of the world. And then he changes Israel to the Jewish people. So here's another example where someone says the Talmud states clearly, right? He's quoting a source, but he, he's massaging it, in my view. Yeah, he changes it. He's, he's cha- how come, it, he, doesn't, it how doesn't, come he says nations of the world and he doesn't say idolaters? It doesn't sound to me like he massages it. It sounds like to me like he changes it. Well, yeah, and how come he, he says difficult for instead of it's an evil sign? Or a Siman Ra, an, a bad omen. Um, anyway, that's basically it. Those were just two things. That they just kind of irk me. It's because now, it, and when it, said, it has a picture, the guy's, you know, looks all professional. It says Rabbi uh, Shlomo Riskin, chief rabbi of Efrat. It's like, wow, here's an authoritative clip that we're going to add to our movie. And it's going to lend credence to this bigger picture that we're trying to to get across. You know what? I, I've realized this. Uh, recently, I, I've been watching different clips and whatnot. I think that for Christians, now, if they see a Jewish guy with the name Rabbi, okay, Rabbi, and he happens to live in Israel, and he speaks Hebrew, that to many Christians, maybe not, maybe subconsciously, they automatically think that this guy knows something about something. <laughs> like if he lives in Israel and he speaks Hebrew, he knows the Bible. He like he can unlock the secrets of the biblical text. Whether he's a believer or not. It doesn't matter. Like, ooh, Rabbi blah 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 from this place in Israel, a native Hebrew speaker. And all of a sudden, it's like, it's just as if he had credentials, you know, from on high. Like, do, do people not get that that's total nonsense? There are plenty. I mean, have people heard of Jerusalem Syndrome? And like, I mean, there's tons of people who live in Israel who have no business whatsoever talking about anything biblical. Not to mention that a lot of the rabbis are coming at things from a Zohar perspective or a Kabbalistic perspective. That doesn't do any good to the biblical text. Anyway, so this segues well into what I was going to say. At the conference at the IMC, there was... Now, we didn't know this at the time. My dad, uh, he kind of went off track for a few minutes, and he started bringing up things like the blood moons, quote-unquote blood moons, and uh, then he got into the Shemitah year and Jonathan Kahn. And uh, he, he made the statement, you know, don't get conned, referring specifically to Jonathan Kahn. And uh, went a little bit into why he thinks, you know, and this was totally off, off his slides. You know, he, this is just kind of out of his own, his own heart and his own mind. He talks about Jonathan Kahn. Well, he didn't know this at the time. But there happened to be an entire table at the conference of people from Jonathan Kahn's congregation. <laughs> uh, now, 90% of these people were certainly not happy about what my father said. about. Did you, could, did you plug into this during the, at the time? No. Oh. What happened? It would have been great to have a video footage. Of I, know, I, I know. And so they didn't say anything. However, as soon as my dad was done, they got up and they left and they didn't come back. That was the first day of the conference. So, 
Um, but one of the there was one guy. Out. Yeah, one there was one guy from the from that table who stuck around and and actually sat down and talked to my dad and was very gracious and very nice and and uh, so on and so forth. Uh, now, first of all, I don't understand that. If I was at a conference, let's say I go to an MJAA conference and they're like, you know, Tim Haig is a heretic. And, and my dad wasn't talking, wasn't saying that Jonathan Kahn is a heretic. Uh, but, you know, if they were like, oh, Tim Haig's a heretic and listen to the nonsense that he teaches and blah, 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 you know, like I wouldn't get up and leave. Well, you know, why would I do that? I would just be like, okay, they, you know, maybe they misunderstand what he's saying or maybe they disagree with him and that's okay. You know, I wouldn't leave the conference, especially if I paid money to be there. I don't get that. Like, Jonathan Kahn is so, so great that if somebody disagrees with him, you can't even be in the same room with him. I don't get it. Anyway, not the point. So, um, I say all that because uh, Jonathan Kahn has basically said that this month of September and, and, uh, uh, this is the Shemitah year, and that uh, this this means great things for biblical prophecy and all these kind of things. And so I start, and actually, at even in our own uh, in our own circles, I know some people who are just freaking out about September twenty third. And uh, supposedly, now I didn't know why September twenty why people were freaking about out about the specific date of September twenty third, um, but. I started doing a little research this morning. Now, I knew about the whole blood moons thing, which is total nonsense, by the way. Uh, one of the blood moons in this tetrad, uh, people don't get it. People don't, just don't understand. By the time one of these blood moons happened in Israel, the uh, the high holy day had been over for more than 24 hours. Yeah. So it wasn't, it, this is not a, two, a true tetrad. The the four quote unquote blood moons are not even on, right? Four holidays, one of them missed completely. So that right there, uh, kind of debunks the whole idea that this is some great tetrad. Um, so the whole blood moon thing is is we're finally coming to an end of it. But I know you know I I know of people who have literally given up their jobs. Are not paying rent, no joke. Uh, because of this nine twenty three. Yeah, thing. because it's all going to end on nine twenty. Uh, on nine. You realize nine twenty three? We have a show that day. Sweet. Okay. Well. Well, if we're not on the air, you'll know that the rapture happened. <laughs> uh, I. I. Okay. You know what? Hey, look. First of all, I'm not a pre-trib rapture guy. Uh, if the Messiah happens to come back on nine twenty three, great. I will let you revel in your in in those of you who who say that uh, that all this is going down on the 23rd, I will let you revel in, in your correctness as uh, we all praise the Messiah that has come back. However, I strongly oppose the idea that the Messiah will be coming back on the 23rd of September. In fact, I don't think anything's really going to happen. However, I thought, hey, let's look into this. So one of the first things, uh, let's let's do some cl- some clips. What? <laughs> hang on. The, the, uh, I, wa- I want to read what's going on in the... Uh, okay. Anyway, I was looking at the chat room, which I should not have done. I apologize. Okay, here we go. Let's start out some of these clips. Now, this is from a. Th- this was actually sent to me several weeks ago. This, and I wasn't going to talk about it, but uh, I started listening to this to this YouTube uh, video. Rob, you're going to love this. Okay. Here you go. 
The events for the month of September are as follows. On September 13th, we have a partial solar eclipse happening. Now, why is that significant? There's also a final blood moon happening on September the 28th. Okay, hang on. Let's stop it right there. For those who don't know, the the partial solar eclipse... In the Joel passage, it says the sun will be uh, turned to darkness and the and the moon to blood. They take this to mean uh, a natural occurring uh, event, that is a solar eclipse and a lunar eclipse. Uh, I don't take it that way. I think it'll be a supernatural thing, and I think that's the way that the text speaks. Anyway, will there be a great outpouring of the Holy Spirit in this season? On September 14th, we have Yom Teruah, or Feast of Trumpets, which begins at sundown on the 14th, going into the 15th. Now, on this very same day, September 14th, this is the last day of the Shemitah year, or Alul 29, and it is known as the Day of Nullification. On this day, this is when debts were to be canceled, slaves were to be set free, and ancestral lands returned to original owners. It was Yahweh's economic reset. Will there be an economic collapse? In today's news, the Wall Street plunged for a second straight day, forcing all three major U.S. averages to give up their 2015 gains and causing the Dow to easily enter correction territory. The Dow Jones tumbled 530 points, while the Nasdaq plunged 171 points. Let's look at Shemitah years in the past to see if there is a pattern. In the Shemitah of 2001, after the Twin Tower attack, the stock market reopened on September 17th, and it lost 684 points in a single day, the greatest plunge ever in one day. And then in the Shemitah year of 2008, the global financial crash reached its peak on September 29th of 2008, a lull 29, again, the last day of the Shemitah year, the day of nullification. That morning, the opening bell that, it, that is struck to begin the trading day refused to ring, and the stock market crashed 777 points. On this day was the greatest stock market point crash in American history, surpassing the crash of 2001. Now, the last day of the Shemitah year this year falls on a lull 29th or September 14th. Will the stock market take a nosedive as it has done in the past two Shemitah cycles? Okay. So this all sounds like amazing. Then- uh, this all sounds like amazing, uh, you know, facts here. Here's the question that I have. Okay. I know that uh, Khan is, is louding uh, this is like some huge, you know, this is... This is it, you know. Here's my question. How in the world does Khan know that this is the Shemitah year? How do we know that 2008 was a Shemitah year? And how do we know that 2000, what did she say, 2003 was a Shemitah year? Or 2001, 2008, 2015. Yeah, there you go. So 2001. How how do we know that those were Shemitah years? This is an honest question I'm asking. And the reason why is because I'm pretty sure... I'm pretty sure that when the rabbis came back into, uh, when, when we got the land back, when Israel became a state in 48, they reckoned it according to something that had to do with that. Like coming into the land. This is the first year coming into the land. Something. Yeah, something like that. But it didn't have to do with like them being like, yeah, we've, we've preserved the Shemitah year this whole time, ever since we came into the land the first time, and we know right when it is. 
In fact, I think it was lost for the most part during the exile, the for, during the first exile, wasn't it? Yeah, I don't know about, um, you know, how the rabbis during, after the destruction of the second temple, you know, that's, that's exile for a long, 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 long time. But I guess my point is, is that Khan in his, in his book on the Shemitah year, and correct me if I'm wrong, because I've only read the first like chapter and a half of, of Khan's book on the Shemitah. Uh, and Adam asks, did they start counting again in 48? I don't think they actually started counting in for like, I think what they did was they reckoned a, a year. I forget anyway, but it seems as though 48 was somehow factored into when they started counting. So in other words, I don't think they were counting Shemitah years before that. Maybe I'm wrong. I could be wrong. I, I honestly don't know. Um, but but one thing that I haven't seen Khan do, at least, and once again, I didn't read his full book, but it didn't seem as though Khan goes through any uh, any length to try to show that the rabbis are correct when the Shemitah year is, that this is a correct uh, correct Shemitah year. So the first question I have is, how do, how do we know that what Khan is saying is right? How do we know that the, that the Shemitah year that Khan is actually saying this is the Shemitah year, how do we know that that's correct? Yeah. And I and I guess I don't even know what the claims are. Is he claiming that it goes all the way back to the first, uh, like when Israel first came in, or is he? Yeah, rec- I, don't, I don't know. I I just haven't read the book. I just I there's, you know, when everybody gets all excited like this, I it I go the other way. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> I've learned that you know I didn't always do that, but it's it's a sign that it's crazy that it's a mob mentality kind of thing well the other thing is is that if the blood moons is not really a blood moon because the tetrad isn't really a tetrad and one of the blood moons was off and if the shemitah year is somehow off (laughs) gary says exact dates don't matter um and and then he quotes him uh i'm reading hang on just a sec This retail applies to the to a nation, but it's a prophetic sign. Okay, so anyway, um, yeah, if the shemitah is off, and if the blood moons aren't really blood moons, then what is everybody getting excited about? Basically, what what's going on in the in the Bible, uh, in Joel, and what's going on in the prophecies certainly is not uh, applicable to this September, right? Let's keep going. Check this out now. I didn't realize, you know, I know that there's all, throughout history, anytime there's been a pope in office, people have said that the pope is the Antichrist, right? Mm-hmm. And that's nothing new. I just didn't realize that so many messianics were jumping on board with it. This is the same. I, so I pulled a bunch of clips from this one video. Uh, here, Listen to this. Then on September 23rd, we have Yom Kippur, or the Day of Atonement. This biblical feast is a prophetic picture that heaven's court is no longer in session, but that the judge of the universe will now rule on the matter and render judgment. On September 23rd... Hang on just a sec. Now, correct me if I'm wrong. Correct me if I'm wrong. Isn't the ultimate judgment after the thousand years? Right, he rules on earth for for a thousand years, and then comes the final judgment. Right, when he puts Satan and, and uh, all of his workers into into hell for eternity. Right, I suppose you could say that. Yeah, 
Maybe I'm wrong. I don't know. Verse will now rule on the matter and render judgment. On September 23rd, we have Pope Francis arriving at the White House to meet with Barack Obama. Some have suggested that the timing of this event is highly unusual. Now, as a sidebar point, Pope Francis is the 266th Pope. You're going to love this. And he will be arriving in the U.S. on the 266th day of his papacy. Remarkably, there are 266 days from the time of fertilization in a human conception until birth. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verses 2 and 3 tells us that destruction comes upon us like a woman travailing to give birth. Was that Gematria or what? <laughs> you know what? You know what would be great is if we could keep all these just for a scrapbook. You know what I mean? Oh, it's called YouTube, man. Oh, <laughs> it's its own man. scrapbook. So check that out. Now, I first, you know... My, you know, but I don't know what I was thinking about the 20. That's that's uh, Yom Kippur. I wasn't thinking. Maybe I don't know what we're going to do about a show. If we'll even do, are we going to do it? I know. It's, anyway, we, anyway, we, that's a side note. I know, exactly. So, no, I, I love this end part. So she, you're going to hear this again, uh, this kind of uh, reasoning again here. Um, so, uh, oh, wait, hang on just a second. I want to read this. So Robert's, uh, Robert gives us this from uh, Chabad.org. He says that, quote, the following, the destruction of the, the second te- holy temple was the first year of a seven-year sabbatical cycle, counting from creation. This was the year th- uh, 3829. Uh, counting sevens from here, they say you get 5775 after creation as a Shemitah year. Okay, but but they can't even say that because they will admit, they know for a fact that they haven't reckoned the 400 years of captivity, give or take, uh, in Babylon into that. They straight up take that out. They know that their counting's off. And that's that's my point. My point is, is that, you know, they're not factoring in all of the data. And not only that, that the Shemitah only is part of a larger thing. It assumes tithing. It assumes that you have priests receiving tithes from the land and all manner of things that are happening that God blesses that that seventh year when the crops are you know they lay fallow for for the year I mean there's so many things that are ignored it's just like pulling that blood moon you know the moon will turn to blood pulling that out of the context and saying okay that means a an eclipse where the moon looks red. That's right there. That's an interpretive leap, a claim they're making. And then they're building on these tetrads coinciding with holidays. And it's not logical. It's like they just see a bunch of dots and they connect them. Beyond that, what it assumes is that you know better than the Messiah. You know, the Messiah comes back and he tell on the road, right? On the road, he tells the two disciples, he, he explains himself from the Torah. He knew his Torah very well, right? Yeah, he couldn't tell, you know, he couldn't tell his disciples about when everything was going to happen because of, you know, he says nobody knows the hour, not not even the son of man, right? Not even himself, okay? So if he looked at the Tanakh and he couldn't figure out when his second coming was, why is it that everyone else thinks that they can look at the Tanakh and be like, aha, we got it. 
We figured it out. I I do love this though. Uh, so let's listen to her reasoning one more yeah, time. It's here. Until birth. Oh, I didn't go back far enough. Next day of his paper. No, we're still not back far enough. Well, now as a sidebar point, Pope Francis is the two hundred and sixty sixth pope, and he will be arriving in the U.S. on the two hundred and sixty sixth day of his papacy. Remarkably. There are 266 days from the time of fertilization in a human conception until birth. Who goes around figuring this stuff out? I mean, did this lady go, go, okay, let's see here. What number pope is he? Aha, 266th. Now, what other things line up to 266? I mean, who figures this out? Okay, now check this out. This is where we start to get really... Really, uh, some fun, interesting facts. Listen to this. Same lady. Okay, here you go, Rob. You're going to love this. Another significance about September 23rd. Isaac Newton did a calculation concerning Daniel's final seven weeks. Isaac Newton was convinced that the final seven weeks of the 70 weeks of Daniel were all about the second coming of the Messiah. He believed that the 62 weeks of Daniel were about Yeshua's first coming and that the final seven weeks were about the timing for his second coming. In Daniel chapter 9, verse 25, it is written, Know therefore and understand that from the going forth of the command to restore and build Jerusalem until Messiah the Prince, there shall be seven weeks and 62 weeks. The street shall be built again and the wall, even in troublesome times. Isaac Newton figured that those final seven weeks were seven Shemitah years. There are seven years in a Shemitah cluster. And here is the calculation. Okay, now before she goes on, before she goes on to the calculation, which, by the way, is so abstract, and we'll talk about that in a few seconds. I don't know if she realizes this. Isaac Newton was a preterist. Full-on preterist. He believed that all this happened back in 70, and he taught that openly. I just looked something up. That the po- she said that it was the 266th day of her of his papacy. Yeah. No. No, he's been pope since 2013. It's the 266th day of the year is September 23rd. So she's a she's got a fact wrong. It's September 23rd is always the 266th day of the Gregorian calendar. But how come she's not using the Hebrew calendar? Because she keeps saying Elul 29, Elul 29. Then she wants the 266 to have yeah. significance. Yeah, exactly. But then she goes to Gregorian calendar, calendar. to get that. Yeah. <laughs> That's not what we could, that is what the Torah would say is unjust weights and measures. That's not just weights and measures. Oh, she's, well, you she's, want you uh, want spinning this, she's adding weight to this, she's she's making things look a certain way through sleight of hand and manipulation behind the scenes. And you go, "Wait a minute. How come you use Elul? You use the the Jewish calendar when that serves you?" But then you use the Gregorian calendar when that serves you, because I guarantee September 23rd or Yom Kippur is not the 266th day of the Jewish calendar. Preach. The Jewish calendar starts counting in Nisan. We're only in the seventh month. So it's, oh, this is just ridiculous. Preach it. Um, okay, but wait, let's go back to Isaac Newton, who is a preterist. So he believes that all this happened back in the, in the 70s, okay? Listen to what, listen to what, now, first of all, okay, just listen to how she reckons this, okay? 
the seven weeks are are seven Shemitah years. Okay. Jerusalem was reunited and restored to Israel during the Six Day War on June the seventh of nineteen sixty seven. So we have seven years in a Shemitah cluster times the seven last weeks of Daniel equals forty nine years. Forty nine years times three hundred and sixty days in a biblical year gives you seventeen thousand six hundred and forty days. In a nutshell, the final seven weeks of Daniel goes from June seventh of nineteen sixty seven. And then if you count out 17,640 days forward, that takes you to September 23rd, 2015. Okay, this lady just said that there's 360 days in the Hebrew calendar. That is so untrue. That's so not true. I think the least amount of days you can have in the Hebrew calendar is 256. And the most days... 356. Yeah, 356. And the most days you can have in a Hebrew calendar is like 380-something. Because because every 17 years or so, you have to put in a leap year or a leap month. Right? Yeah, this is... this is. Oh, my goodness. So the, the, wait. People who, the people who get worked up about this, uh, if they have saving faith, that this it's sad for them. But they're, they have to sort through this. They're going to go through pain, relationship issues. They're going to have to... But what it comes down to, they're going to have to seek the word. They're going to have to get into the word deeper and deeper. They're going to have to start to learn languages and slowly discern the difference between false teachers and true teachers. That's, that's you know, that's the only way. We can't. Otherwise, if, if someone doesn't grow into the discernment on their own, it's just we're just another voice on the marketplace saying, oh, those guys are wrong. Listen to us. No, those guys are Wait, wrong. Hang on. Listen to us. Wait, come in. Wait. So my dad just hands me a note. Seven times in 19 years and 13 months. No, no. The 13th month needs to be added. Oh, so seven times in 19 years, a 13th month, ne- month needs to be added. Yeah, yeah, that's right. So, so in other words, <laughs> so in other words, seven times in 19 years, you have way more than 360 years or 360 days in a calendar year. So her calculation yeah, yeah. is so far off. Yeah, yeah. It's just again, she's using, she's using. Uh, uh, what do you call it? She's tipping the scales. She's she's weighting um, the outcome. Okay, this is where it's going to get really, really weird. By the way, it's good to see Dennis Fabe in our uh, chat room. Dennis, it was good seeing you, man. Well, I We're got not- to, I got to see Dennis not only at family camp, I got to see Dennis at family camp and in Bethlehem, PA. He was there as well. Okay. So, check this out. This is where it gets really weird. A couple months or a couple weeks ago, somebody sent us something saying you should do a show on CERN. Now, I started watching one of these videos, and I just thought this is the dumbest thing I've ever seen. The ones in my with life. the six 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 thing, yeah, or in the nines. But there's yeah, yeah. Just- so 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 I finally this all interconnects now. Now I understand why they wanted me to, to talk about this. Wanted us to talk about this. So this lady, she. She explains, she gets into CERN a little bit, and she kind of gives a nice little introduction to CERN, what CERN is, and all that kind of stuff. That's the only reason I pulled her clip, okay? But then I got another clip for you, which is so unreal. Here you go. Listen to her, listen to her setup of CERN. And finally, in September, during a window of time from about September 23rd to September 28th, there will be a, an experiment at CERN. A CERN particle collision is scheduled 
during this time from September 23rd to the 28th. Now CERN is the world's largest hadron particle collider located near Geneva, Switzerland. Twelve Western European nations were commissioned on the project on September 29th of 1954 on Yom Teruah of that year. Now, in Roman times, the city under which CERN now exists was the home of the Temple of Apollyon, or the Destroyer in Greek. Shiva is that being in the Hindu faith. And Revelation 9.11 speaks of Apollyon. Now, would it surprise you to know that the statue of Shiva stands outside the headquarters of CERN, and she is their mascot? And Okay, and that's not the end of the clip, but I want to interject here. No, it would not surprise me to learn that. Why? Because if you know anything about Greek mythology, okay, and, and not only, I shouldn't even say Greek mythology, uh, the Hindu mythology, rather, uh, what does is, what is, uh, Shiva do? She destroys the. She's the destroyer. Yeah, yeah, she destroys the world to recreate it, right? So of course, I mean, uh, I'm not saying. Yeah, I think it's ironic that they choose a a, uh, a pagan god as a representative. I mean, I think that's kind of ironic, but I I don't think that there's anything to do with it because the reason that they chose that was for that specific reason. They chose Shiva because she's the destroyer and the creator. They're trying to reproduce the Big Bang. So I don't find I don't find it like out of the realm of it's not mind blowing to me that they would choose that as mascot. She's surrounded by the Stargate structure of the Hadron Collider, which is intending to open the doorway and portal into another dimension, possibly unlocking the abyss. As if all that isn't bad enough, the logo for CERN is three number sixes in various positions. No, that's actually not true. Um Yes, there are three sixes in their logo, but there are also two nines. Uh, so I, once again, this this is this is scare tactics in my in my my book. Okay, they, they're they're using scare tactics. However, this brought me to another clip, and uh, so all of Staley's uh, criminal uh, under you know investigations, his trial, and his subsequent. Uh, his subsequent sentencing of seven years in prison. Uh, put that aside. Let's not even worry about that. Okay, uh, I, that's not what I'm. I'm here to talk about. Okay. Um, you know, I've I've listened to Staley before. I think he leans very two house. That's concerning. Uh, well, he, he, yeah. Okay, go ahead. No, is he any? He, he's there's stuff he does on. I've seen him teach on Hebrew language, and I'm just like, oh my goodness, it's like Missler kind of thing. And that when you see someone going off being really bold about something they really don't know about, then I have to assume that that is a control for everything that they do. In other words, that the same level of non-discernment is behind other things that they teach, too. Well, there's no, um, there's no doubt that he's taught, he's taught, you know, one of the things that Staley's done. Now, look, we've had Staley on this show before, and we had Staley on because he debated Chris Roseborough. Who actually, if you follow Chris Roseborough at all, besides his giving up on Torah, the guy's actually theologically very sound. Uh, he, you know, he's solid on on a lot of his theology. Yeah, I, granted, he does not accept Torah. Uh, he thinks the Torah has been done away with. But he debated Staley on the Sabbath, and that was a good debate. It was, and Staley h- held his own. There's no doubt about it. Uh, but you know, Staley has also taught on uh, Hebrew word pictures. He's, uh, you know, he's integrated the Aleph Tav teaching into his, into his uh, teachings. 
he has some very, very interesting views on the Nephilim. Uh, it seems like he's kind of bought into some of these crackpots, like, uh, you know, some, some of these crackpot teachers. And, and he's taken their teaching and, and integrated into, into his own. So there's no doubt that that's concerning. Okay? I Agreed. He's done some good things for the body as well. Listen to this, though. This is, this is interesting, to say the least. 60 years has been to open up a portal. I'm sorry, I, uh, I didn't start at the beginning. Let's start again. The purpose of CERN for the last 60 years has been to open up a portal of time-space. They want to open up a black hole, what's called a miniature black hole, because when you collide these two, theoretically, it will tear open the time-space continuum for as little as three seconds, as much as 26 seconds. That was six years ago that they determined this. And it will create what's called a miniature black hole. Something will come through. Now, I don't know about you, but I don't know if a black hole is a good idea. (laughs) Every movie that I've watched that has a black hole, something goes in and never comes back. Black holes are like giant Uh, vacuum cleaners the smallest one can suck the entire earth into it just like that okay hang on just a just a second i want to stop right there for a second i it it sounds to me like staley is now getting his his uh knowledge of black holes from hollywood as opposed to the scientific community and what they've seen on black holes right yeah it does sound that way Uh, where else are you gonna get it Are you, are you, you seem, you seem like you're concentrated very much on the chat room. I can tell by your eyes. I can tell by your eyes and the way that, and the way that you're t- like glossed over, totally not I, listening I to, to anything that's going on. Lottery calculations. <laughs> um, here you go. I've got two, two words for Gamatria for 266. One is Arya Tela, which is lion and lamb and Orgoyim, light of the nations. Those both in Hebrew. Add up to 266. Are you serious? Yeah. <laughs> I, it doesn't oh. seem right, though, I, but I think it is. Yeah. it's There's a Gamatria calculator online you go to, and you can type. It gives you a, like, here's another one. Nes Zion, the banner of Zion, adds up to 266. Wow. Uh, that's awesome. I don't know, Caleb. I, yeah. Yeah, there you go. If you if if our listeners don't know, Lion and Lamb is uh is a ministry, so is Light of the Nations. Uh anyway. Oh, I was just thinking oh, that's right. Yeah. Um. Okay, so uh hang on, let's keep going with this because so first of all, uh, Staley seems to be getting his knowledge of his scientific knowledge of black holes from Hollywood, not from anywhere substantial. Let's keep going with this can understand it's not in our normal computing brain power to wrap our brain around a small microscopic wormhole that could suck our universe into it everything that's around it okay he's making this up straight up he's making it up he's this is not based on any facts factual data whatsoever but that's how it works nope This is what they're trying to do. Ultimately, the goal of CERN, you can read it on their own website, their goal is time travel. That's what they want to do. 
Every movie that you've ever watched is not science fiction. It's there for a reason. Go back and watch it. You'll see that all of the time travel from 25 years ago to cartoon movies are using the very Hadron Collider symbol as their stargate. Hang on, I gotta, I gotta do this. <laughs> we do not get a lot of humor here, and when we do, it's wonderful. <laughs> Okay, let's go back. I want to listen to that one more time. So what Staley's telling us is that every movie that we've ever seen that has to do with time travel, whether it's a cartoon or not, is not actually fiction. It's actually real. And that, and that somehow they've been using the Hydron Collider symbol uh, in the movies to, to substantiate that. Listen again. All of the time travel from 25 years ago to cartoon movies are using the very Hadron Collider symbol as their stargate. I don't know what Kool-Aid Staley drank, but man, it's... Wow. Okay, let's keep going with the clip. This clip is 3 minutes and 16 seconds long, by the way. Let's keep going. Coincidence? I don't know. All I know is that it's very interesting that how many didn't even know of CERN, never even heard of it before? That we have, can you imagine that? We are living in a day where we don't even know that this organization exists and their main goal is to open up a black hole, of which they admit from the head director of research and scientific development, they don't know what could come from the other side. I don't know about you, but Revelation says if it's connected, there is something on the other side, and it's called a polyon. Hang on just a sec. I think I can make this clip better. I think I can, I can help Staley pr- uh, prove his point here. Here we go. Ready? And our Bible says that at the end of time that the Nephilim or, the, or these demonic beings are going to come out of the bottomless pit. Can I just suggest possibly, is it possible that we are the ones responsible at holding the key? Could it be that we actually do it to ourselves? That knowledge increases to such a level that we figure out how to get the key to the bottomless pit and open it, but we don't know what we're doing because the enemy, the evil spirits that are running this this race, which are the spirits of the Nephilim or the giants, they are working on behalf of the fallen angels which are in a bottomless pit right now. And they're manipulating the minds of man, giving them all of this technology to open up the key for their buddies. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> Did you add the music? Or yes, was that part of yes, part? I added the mu- oh, music. Okay. <laughs> um, <laughs> so okay, so let's let's sit let's sit back for just a second and take a breath, and, and let's try to understand exactly what Jim Staley is saying. He's saying that CERN and this hydron collider, and he's not the only one, by the way. It's very possible. That the devil, Satan, and his workers have manipulated people into building this hydron collider. And that to do so, what they've done is they've, they're trying to open up a portal from us to the underworld. And that when we open up this underworld portal on September 23rd, or right around there, what's going to happen is the other side demons who knows whatever 
whatever might be under there, is going to break through this portal into our universe, bringing on what? All hell. Hell on earth. And, wait, hang on. It's not, it's not just that. And that Hollywood somehow, for the past 25 years, every movie they've ever produced about time travel has not been fictional, but in fact has been giving us signs of this the whole time by showing us pictures of the Hydron Collider uh, in some way, shape, or form. Am I, am I the only one who's gotten that from this clip, or did you hear that too? Yeah, this would this would make a great movie. <laughs> I mean, I'm trying to. I I don't watch like horror movies or anything, but are there movies where like they? Well, there's movies like where they over, go into a different dimension where there's like, like where there's evil spirits or something. I guess I don't know. Do am, they have make movies like that? Am I dreaming? Is this? I mean, how? What what have I missed? How what is going on? A a ministry that that is fueled or fuels people's fears and and is based on a sensationalist uh, type of preaching method has to come up with more and more. How do you top the last one? Right? How do you? Boy, Did you ever know. see that movie Stargate? They, I think so. oh, they yeah, have the this huge round circle. thing, right? And they, yeah. When they align it all just right, then boom, this gate opens up into this other dimension. Yeah. I mean, it sounds like he's preaching the movie Stargate. Here's the worst part, is that he he's acting as if he believes it. I mean, no offense, but Staley, not that, you know, he's taught things that I've questioned in the past before, obviously. But this just, I mean, he, he has lost all credibility whatsoever. You know, there are multiple black holes in the universe, yeah, right? Yeah. I mean, there there's, um, you know, I don't know. I, I don't know. But, but I, I guess my point is, is that it is concerning to me. You know, Staley has a passion for truth is a, is a huge ministry. They got a lot of followers. We know people who have who've uh, you know who've got who've packed up their families and moved there to be with passion for truth. And look, hey, David over there, that guy's great. I love you know. I know people over there. They love the Lord. They they are doing good work. You know, they're trying to do the hard work of learning languages and whatnot. But then you got Staley, who gets up on stage and preaches this kind of stuff. Really? And w- here's the here's the other thing: how does how do people sit in 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 the audience and not call foul on this? I think they believe it. Are you telling me that every single person in that room is just buying into the idea that 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 the, that CERN is is a portal to a different dimension of the underworld that's going to open on September twenty third? Dude, if I was sitting in the audience and my dad preached that from the pulpit, I would have stood up in the middle of service and been like, what are you talking about? Okay, but see, here's the thing. I, now, I've never been to a, a Passion for Truth service, but are they modeled on an interactive type of sermon? Who cares? Message? Who cares? Well, because if people have taught people, because this is why, Caleb, because in some churches you go there and it's, every, it's like being in a theater, right? The spotlight's on the speaker. Everybody else is kind of in the dark. 
and it's like a performance and nobody the the format is designed to keep the people just going ah and then it's over there's no interactive whereas i know like with Hillel and art of messiah you know we have there's message and interactivity people can uh, and are encouraged to raise their hand and comment Okay. Uh, even throughout. if it, even, I, I don't think that they have that kind of model. I mean, listen, he he'll, he's preaching to a big room. There's these moments of of time that he waits. These pauses that are dramatic, and you don't hear anybody. You can't even hear anybody sneeze. Even that. Okay. Look, j- just on a personal level, let's say I I'm a part of a group like that. I go every single week. I bring my family. We sit down. We're quiet. We keep the kids quiet. Maybe we put them off in some Sunday school. Okay? And my wife and I are sitting there listening to this sermon. If, if I don't care who it was. Somebody starts preaching this. If I'm not going to stand up and cry foul right there, distru- disrupt the, the, the meeting and just be like, this is nonsense. If I'm not going to do that, I would at least stand up and leave. And what boggles my mind is that there wasn't a mass exodus out of passion for truth right then saying this is total nonsense. What is going on? This is, this is fear tactics. And you know what? My dad has preached before and Ariel Berkowitz agrees and has taught this before. Revelation is not given to us so that we know what's coming. Revelation is given to us so that when we see it happening, we know that God is faithful and true. That what he says is correct. That he knows everything. It's he knows the end of something and its beginning, so that we can take heart and not fear. It has nothing to do with us to be able, be able being able to say, "Look, this is what the Bible says on this date. This is going to happen." That's not what it's about. What upsets me about this is that people buy into it. People are preaching this kind of nonsense and people are buying into it. Put in CERN into a Google search or into a YouTube search. See how many pastors and preachers and teachers are teaching that this is some kind of nonsense portal that to the, to the uh, you know, to the next dimension of the underworld. Ladies and gentlemen, this is nonsense. Not only is it nonsense, but is it a distraction? I'm ready for the Messiah to come back at any time. I don't need guys to tell me that there's some portal that's going to open and, and the other side's going to come through and it's going to be it's going to be hell on earth. It's upsetting to me. It really ticks me off. It, it feels like, you know, it feels like people who are in positions of power are preying on the weak and preying on the people who don't know any better. That's upsetting. Anyway, that's all I got. <laughs> Let's end on that note. Anything else, Rob? Yeah, well, this the idea of bottomless pit, it's just the word abyss. It's, so there's, it's not, there's not a word in Revelation that means literally uh, bottomless pit. It just means the abyss, which just means immense, immense depth. It just means depth. Okay, but we could, I mean, we could really argue this. Oh, I forgot to tell you a story, by the way. Anyway, we could really argue the point of whether or not, uh, whether or not, you know, where did the, where did the demons go when, when Yeshua cast them out of the pigs? 
He has to puts them in the pigs. Yeah, but then they go, and where do they go? They go down in the water, they right? They drown in the water. Okay, so then what happens to them? They're, uh, I don't know. Yeah, so I mean, look, I understand. There, people might uh, people might be able to to reason that there's some place, you know, and they and they have people have reckoned that there's some place where people are, you know, souls are being kept. Okay, let's let's end on a on a more. Okay, wait. <laughs> Gary says that the gematria of Saint Paul is the same as flux capacitor. <laughs> yes. Uh Hit the nail on the head. Dreaming is fun. Shot in the arm. Hmm. Wow, bet we could write a book on that one. Mark says, I can assure you all that if Caleb were to bring the things that these people are saying to, at Beit Hillel, we'd laugh him out of the building or anyone else that come up with this nonsense, just saying. No doubt. Okay, so my dad and I are flying into uh, into Newark, okay? And the whole, you know, the whole flight... I've been on my computer. My dad's been on his computer. We start talking right as we're starting to land, okay? And we're talking about, <clears throat> pardon me, we're talking about Deuteronomy 6, 4 and following, the Shema. And the conversation is whether or not wrapping these, th- uh, a sign upon your head and front, or a sign up, uh, wrap, wrapping these as a sign upon your arm and frontals between your eyes is a literal command. Whether or not God had uh, you know, was commanding to feel in as we have it, you know, some kind of box that we're going to put on our head and on our arm. Then my father's taking the opinion that, yes, it is some kind of physical thing that, that should be uh, enacted. I'm taking the opinion that, no, the whole passage is metaphorical for that we should be talking about them all the time. They should envelop our entire life. People should know that this is what we believe and this is what we, you know, what we're saying and uh, that there's no mistaking that we believe uh, the commands of God, right? Um, my, and so by the time the, fl- the, the flight lands, everybody stands up all the way up the, the, the ramp into the airport. My dad, are basi- my dad and I are basically like not yelling, but pretty close to yell- <laughs> yelling at each other. Everyone on that plane knew exactly what our position was on each side. So I wanted to ask you, Rob, <laughs> what do you think? Was the the command of Deuteronomy to to bind these as a sign upon your arm and frontlets between your eyes? Physical. First off, first off, it's the dispute that you have is not new. Of course, uh, in the Mechilta, the Rabbi Ishmael, which is an early Tanitic midrash, it says that it takes it that it's really Torah study is what it's supposed to be. It, the idea is that you have these words. Um, if someone's studying God's word that 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 they're uh, they're fulfilling the intent of that but that if someone is not studying God's word they literally do it they literally bind or you know lay to villain as it uh, but that at least within it looks like in the in rabbinic world it developed as a sign of Torah study it pointed to the the words on your heart, so to speak, from the Shema, but you know we do, and we do have to fill in at Qumran. So, uh, I, whoa, whoa, somehow, whoa, hang, hang on, I'm not, and this is part of my argument is that I'm not saying that Yeshua didn't realize that they were. I mean, he says they they make their seat seat long and their tefillin big. He never t- preaches. He never teaches against it. And I'm not saying there's anything wrong with laying tefillin. I do it myself. 
Adam says, can it not be both a physical command and a spiritual command? Well, no, I would say that it can't be both because in terms of meaning, the author had one intended meaning. We might have different applications, various applications of one meaning, but the written word has one meaning. So when it, when it's, when it's, uh, when it, when the Torah says something, it has one meaning. It wouldn't have two meanings. Now we might apply it differently. I, I don't know for sure. I have to say I don't know. I, I do know that in Proverbs, it uses binding, let them be a wreath on your neck and a gar, you know, that the metaf- if we just looked at Tanakh, it seems to lean towards metaphorical when, when it talks about binding words on your body. Um, but, but, you know, I, I, I don't know. Gary says both as well. Wow. You guys really think that there's two meanings to the text? Anyway, okay. Enough of that. At well, least obviously, uh, they shall be on your heart is not, I mean, if we think of that, right, if we think of the whole idea of writing Torah on our heart, well, or the tablets of the heart, or the heart of stone, you know, these other passages that are difficult to think in terms of literally. See, but okay, my point would be this, is that in terms of, of application of what this text means, the question is, is does, does, the, does it mean that we are to physically wrap something on our body and put it in between our eyes? And my point is, is that I don't think that, that a person who has never wrapped tefillin before has, is sinning by not wrapping tefillin. The Christian who has never even heard of what tefillin are are going to read this passage and say, this means that, I, that I'm supposed to love the word in a way that you know, it envelops my entire life. And that it's supposed to be assigned to others, you know, assigned yeah. to others that that uh, that I, I believe this, that I believe in God and I trust Him. So the question is: is is the text actually commanding us to do something physical? That's my question. Personally, I would say no, but let's hear what other people have to say. Uh, this this day has been. Uh, has been good because I want people to also. I was thinking about maybe we should have a conspiracy day. <laughs> we could have people send in uh, what they think is is uh, you know a conspiracy in terms of of biblical conspiracies, and we could have a conspiracy day. All right, is that it, Rob? Are you done? Yeah, great show. I, I liked our show today. I think we were able to, especially coming out of camp week and, and your travels back to the conference on, on the East Coast, fairly quickly put together some good conversation. Absolutely. We, actually, this all came from an email, too. So we love it when people send us emails. Hag at TorahResource.com. Rvanhoff at TorahResource.com. Uh, let us know what you want us to talk about. Let us know topics that you think that we should cover. And uh, send us verses or uh, passages of Scripture that you want to know about so that we can talk about things on this show that uplift and glorify our great God and Savior, Yeshua the Messiah.